0: The peak of the, the boom, bubble, whatever, 2017, I had convinced myself that Bitcoin was in the way. It was old, out, outdated, slow, all the nonsense memes that were being propagated around that time. And I was one of the people who thought that.
1: Welcome everyone to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Dude, I am doing great. We just recorded another
2: fantastic episode and I'm about to eat dinner. My lovely girlfriend is cooking right here in our kitchen and I am very excited. For all you Bitcoiners, it's a bunch of vegetables. I'm sorry, but I love my vegetables. I love them.
1: How do you feel about mushrooms, Christian?
2: Oh, man, I love mushrooms, and that was a great segue. You guys, we just had the best conversation with Brandon Quittum. Uh We talked about so much stuff. We got Cosmic, Mycelium, apps plugging into Bitcoin, the Great Filter, um, creating an energy network throughout the planet. Man, it got crazy. This was a fantastic episode. David, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, this kind of subject matter has really been the main motivation between Behind me, making the big leap into cryptocurrencies, uh, I think it was—I can't re- really remember because 2017 was such a blur. But the as soon as I was able to draw a comparison between uh, crypto economic systems and biological like mimicry, I was like, oh wait, this this stuff is legit. Like this stuff behaves like how nature behaves, and so I want to learn more about that and. I think uh, Brandon's Brandon's like rise to fame was very much a product of him able to capitalize on the, the comparisons drawn between uh, Bitcoin and nature. Uh, and so that's why that's why I got really, really excited to, to talk about this. Uh, and so Brandon goes over his article c- comparing Bitcoin to mycelium. I do my Ethereum duties and push back on him saying I actually think that's more about crypto economic systems, uh, not just Bitcoin itself. Uh, then we get into the topic of evolution and reproduction when it comes to these systems. Uh, just so much, so much good stuff here. Make sure to follow at POV
2: Crypto Pod on Twitter. Make sure to rate and review the show. And without further ado, Brandon Quidham. All right, guys, I am excited to introduce you to Brandon Quidham. This guy burst out on the scene. Out of nowhere drops a legendary thread and medium post comparing Bitcoin to mycelium. Brandon, why don't you tell your tell our guests, our, our listeners, about yourself?
0: Sure, yeah, thanks guys, really appreciate it. Uh, I'm psyched to be here. I've started listening to your guys' show the last couple of weeks here, and I've been uh, starting with the Murad episode, good get on that one. And I have to say, before I go into my story, I appreciate the balance you guys bring, uh, the balance of the force here. Mm-hmm. Crypto Twitter gets pretty crazy. And uh, I, I find myself, you know, find more in the middle, I guess, when I hear rational opinions and you guys argue in good faith. So uh, kudos to you guys. I appreciate that. In terms of my story, let's see, I first heard about Bitcoin in 2012 uh, as it relates to the Silk Road. You know, I just hear friends talking about buying drugs on the internet. Okay, that's crazy. Uh, fast forward a few more years, heard about it again in 2014. And my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, we're on a one year backpacking trip through Asia. And it just wasn't the right time, although some things were starting to click. And then it wasn't until 2017, mid-2017, when I first, uh, when I really fell down the rabbit hole. And there was, you know, about a two-month period where I studied 20 hours a day, very unhealthy. The girlfriend was not happy. Um, And I just couldn't put this stuff down. And so, you know, like most people, fell down the rabbit hole. And... You know, I didn't didn't really emerge for a few months, but then I decided I want to switch sort of what my life path is and make it about this, this whole space. And then, you know, I went through the full thing between, you know, blockchain, everything, eventually finding my way back to Bitcoin, which is sort of the camp that I pay most attention to. Um, You know, I'm supportive of other camps, but, you know, I'm a Bitcoiner. And so, yeah, I guess that's the
2: main story. So I kind of want to dig into that a little bit. Like, can you kind of describe your journey from blockchain to really thinking it's all about Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what's funny is, let's see, the peak of the, the boom, bubble, whatever, 2017, I had convinced myself that Bitcoin was in the way. It was old, out outdated, slow, all the nonsense memes that are being propagated around that time. And I was one of the people who thought that. And so I'm not even sure exactly when it clicked. But sometime in first half of 2018, um, you know, I started getting into Twitter more, seeing more arguments and actually thinking for myself. I think that's probably when it started to take off. And I was reading more about economics and the shortfalls of systems that don't end up being money. And it was really, I would say, the content creators in the Bitcoin community that opened my eyes, the Nick Carters, the Dan Helds, the Hasus, you know, I could go on forever naming these guys, but um, just hearing that it was a money first thing, not a not a technology first thing, I think that was probably the most convincing to me.
1: So if uh, if Bitcoin vanished off the face of the earth and assuming you still wanted to be in cryptocurrencies, where do you think your attention would go afterwards? Like uh, how would it be diverted into other projects?
0: Yeah, great question. So I'd say Ethereum has the most momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, hands down, there's cool stuff being built there. I'm pretty skeptical of the, the next path, the the hurdle that has to be overcome. And so I don't know if I would jump all the way into Ethereum. I know I'd probably put a foot in there. Um, you know, I, I like what Decred's doing from a distance, but I don't really pay attention. And so if Bitcoin failed, I would honestly have very little faith in this experiment going forward. Sadly, that's what I would say. I, I would be pretty bummed. Yeah, fair. Enough. I think that's the reality.
1: Yeah. Um- So my biggest fascination, and and this is kind of what some of the stuff that you've talked about is some of the similar things that I've gone through in my head that makes me feel so confident in the future of the blockchain crypto world. And that is the mimicry between blockchain systems and uh, the patterns that we find in nature. Uh, I just feel like as as you start to understand these these crypto economic systems, you can kind of come to some sort of logical conclusion that uh, cryptocurrency is here to stay, uh, and then we can we can get into the details about like well this cryptocurrency is definitely here to stay and this cryptocurrency is not here to stay and that's a whole separate debate. But in large, we know that well, I think we can say that cryptocurrencies are definitely going to be here. And perhaps also the logical conclusion of money in this internet-connected age, and and we know that this is true from how they operate as networks, and how we've seen humans, the not even the human species, but but uh, animal organisms, the animal kingdom, kind of evolve and adapt and overcome at large. And that's kind of why I, I I feel so secure when I put my money into crypto about how it's going to be here to how it's going to be here to stay in for the indefinite future. And I I see that I see you talking a lot about um, about this subject as well is is biomimicry in these blockchain systems. Uh, And and so that's what I'm really excited to to talk to to you about here today.
0: Definitely. And I would say (laughs) to amend my previous answer, I agree more with what you just said than my answer of the whole space would die. Mm. I think the cat's out of the bag. Um, It's inevitable. The Internet needs a currency to quote Jack. Um, we're a network species, and the network archetype that we see emerging over and over and over again mm-hmm. throughout our entire universe is pretty telling, and it's pretty obvious. And when you look at just the internet itself as an archetype, it, it's the same as what the the blockchain in, is, and the same as um, our our neurons in our brain, and dark energy, and you know this pattern keeps coming up mm-hmm. over and over again, and you know, nature has so many cycles, so many iterations. So, you know, it, it all the bad bad ideas die off and the good stuff persists. And I know we're gonna get into fungi, um, but maybe this is a good time to, to talk about that. But they're sort of the bedrock species of our planet. They've been around for 1.3 billion years, and they've survived all five mass extinction events on our planets. This includes things like 65 million years ago, an asteroid came, killed the dinosaurs. And during each of these cataclysmic events, most life on earth is killed, but the fungi, the mycelium, the anti-fragile caretakers of our planet, they don't care, right? They just slowly go back, they keep rebuilding, every 10 minutes they create a new block mm-hmm. and before long we're, we're back to humans, mm-hmm. you know? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's inevitable and the network thing, we're network creatures and so it's just obvious that we need to have some value transfer system like that.
1: So yeah, you you started talking about uh, mycelium. So for our listeners that haven't read your articles, will you kind of give them uh, just kind of the the thesis of your idea?
0: Sure. yeah. Uh, so before we really get into mycelium, I think it's good to start with the fungi kingdom. So just basic biology 101 here, there's, I think six or seven kingdoms. One of those kingdoms is fungi. and in the fungi kingdom, you have things like mushrooms. And that would be the most popular form of this kingdom uh, a couple quick mushroom facts or fungi facts there are more fungi than there are plants and animals combined the largest organism on our planet is a honey mushroom which is uh, about two miles long one and a half miles wide it's thousands of years old and it's a mushroom It's in washington state right it's in oregon, oregon actually huh? eastern okay. oregon yeah uh, most of our medicine comes from fungi the only reason why we have topsoil is because over millions of years fungi break down rocks and break it down into the base elements which then become soil um yeah i mean at one point (laughs) mushrooms were as big as skyscrapers you can see some artistic renderings of this but just imagine a flat boring world where the biggest plant is as tall as your knee you know a foot or two and then you have 30 foot 50 foot 80 foot mushrooms towering around and so, yeah, okay, that's some quick fungi facts. <laughs> and in, in that kingdom now, there's mushrooms, which are just the fruit. It's just the apple mm-hmm. of the tree, but the real organism is underground. And that organism is a one cell walled root structure called mycelium. And this root structure, it permeates the earth pretty much everywhere we have plants, everywhere we have life, there's mycelium and it connects into different trees and it ships resources it ships information from species to species it takes leaf matter or sticks or whatever organic matter lands on the earth and it climbs up out of the ground and it decomposes that complex life into its base elements which then goes down below into the mycelium transport layer and it starts brokering resources so any tree you see I think it's 99% of trees now, it's probably all trees, but we know for sure about 99% of trees have a mushroom ally or multiple. And the tree roots actually allow the mycelium to come into the roots and they open up a channel. And in this channel, they broker resources. So trees they specialize in creating their own food. And they do this through photosynthesis, which creates sugars. And then they send the sugars through the roots into the mycelium in exchange for minerals. So the the mycelium is mining rocks and organisms underground for minerals, trading them to the tree for food in the form of sugar. And that entire system permeates on our planet. That's why people say forests are alive and you can sort of feel it. That's the reason. If you've ever wondered why a baby oak tree survives even though it can't get any sunlight it's because mycelium and and the other trees nearby ship resources to it until it's old enough to survive on its own so that's sort of the archetype of fungi it's the it's the bedrock it's the connector it's the decentralized network it's the brain it's the immune system and so that's sort of the the foundation of where we're going to go next all right and now if we look at this from um sort of like a how can I say this? Like I'm trying to think about what is Bitcoin, right? And I see all these parallels with mycelium. so we can just start to maybe just name off some of the the ways that this is interesting. But uh, mycelium underground lives in the most hostile conditions on our planet. So all this different microbiology, whether it's competing fungi or different bacteria, they're all fighting underground and it's very, very hostile. And so in this hostile condition, certain organisms th- and the other ones die off. And so the ones we have alive now are very, very strong. They're very anti fragile. And so, you know, if they survive in this competitive ecosystem and they're creating new molecules to fight with things that come underground, they just keep getting better and better. And Bitcoin's the same way. It's been attacked since day one from governments, from competitors, from people who want to get paid, you know, any number of ways. And anytime these things get attacked, it sends a signal out to the system. And the developers create a new enzyme or a software patch and they ship that software patch around that propagates through the network and now Bitcoin becomes stronger. And so I would say that's probably one of the most foundational parts is just the mycelium archetype is very similar to Bitcoin. But you know, there's other things like we can look at proof of work in the same context. We can look at how the immune systems function. We can talk about how both route around danger. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how, how deep you wanna go here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so you talked about uh, and maybe you didn't mean to do this but you talked about how the mycelium will open up a channel with a tree to transport nutrients uh, and, uh, and you might have alluded to like maybe a lightning network channel of sorts where the base blockchain funnels uh, nutrients which is value into a, a lightning channel that allows the lightning channel to communicate with you know the open world because I, I I assume that in the future, in a, in a future where Bitcoin is super successful, that it doesn't indirectly operate with the world directly on the blockchain, but operates uh, to the world through a second layer, uh, a layer that's a little bit more easy to communicate with the outside world. And so in my mind, my mind kind of went to this tree is maybe like this business, right? Like it could be the Square app or something. And there's this really, really big tree that's a Square app. and Or there's a smaller tree, which is somebody selling, I don't know, trinkets uh online and it's it's a little tiny bush and they but they use the lightning, lightning network and so like the mycelium is connected to all of these separate things providing value for this for this other organism that has nothing to do with it except for that it's feeding it from the ground up
0: dude i love it
1: just to kind of add on to that
2: uh generally speaking when you were talking about that in my mind i thought trees to mycelium is like apps to the blockchain right so mm-hmm. there's these different applications that are going to reference the blockchain that that's kind of how it just triggered in my head and to be honest with bitcoin at some point everything can become an app to it which is what is probably the most exciting thing about it
0: totally you guys just nailed that one and i'm going to call this a, a i did not mean to say payment channels when i said open up mm-hmm. a channel it might be a freudian slip <laughs> or a satoshian <laughs> slip maybe we can coin that one <laughs> Uh, but you're totally right. And and I think that's what's really interesting about it. The base layer of Bitcoin is excruciatingly simple and uh, you know, ineffective, inefficient. But through all these other layers, we can still reference the security, the cadence, the, the ability to keep things sound at the base layer and then do all this wacky stuff in
1: the trees. A lot of uh, Bitcoiners allude to how much development is being built on Bitcoin. And, you know, and then Ethereum people will come in and and hate on them and saying, well, there's no development on Bitcoin like Bitcoin is designed to be simple. And I think the miscommunication there is is that Bitcoiners uh, Bitcoiners count uh, the trees that are growing out of the base layer as development on Bitcoin. And they count like all the different species, all the new shrubbery, all the new grasses, all the new all the new types of trees growing out of the support of the mycelium underground network, they all count that as development on top of Bitcoin. Um, and, I, and I mean, I guess I don't really have a point here, but I just wanted to, to point that out and see what you guys think about that.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I would tend to agree. I think there's, you know, I, don't quote me if I'm wrong here, but I think there's been around 500 people that have ever contributed to the Bitcoin core implementation. Mm-hmm. And there's maybe 150 or 200 people actively working on it and a much smaller number making critical BIPs and changes. Um, But I, I don't think that's necessarily too many. At least at the base layer, I don't think that there's too many more things left to do. You know, we can talk about privacy versus fungibility, and I think there's definitely something there that needs to be done. But I'm of the persuasion that eventually... Um, you know, as long as we can transition into a fee based security model, if we can do that successfully, I don't think the base layer should change much more. And I think that's general consensus. And so things like the Lightning Network make me very, very bullish on Bitcoin long term, seeing that come together and seeing developers come over to the Bitcoin ecosystem now that they have something easy to work on. Uh, Because the base protocol for Bitcoin is hard to work on. And there's not a lot of qualified developers in the entire world. And so, yeah, if we can get second layer, sidechain, whatever those things turn out to be, and draw some developer share away from Ethereum or hmm. away from whoever, I'm, I'm supportive of that.
2: So, I mean, you kind of just brought up something that there is always a fight and competition for developer mind share, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think that this is something that is becoming very apparent to everyone in the space. Bitcoiners generally have, like, very aggressive and adversarial thinking. And, um, you know, that can kind of be uh, seen as being toxic. But if anything, like, it's kind of necessary. And when you describe mycelium as living in one of the most toxic, difficult-to-live-in environments, like, you're kind of saying that, you know, this money system is also going to do that. So can you kind of actually talk about a little bit, like, You know, why is this kind of adversarial thinking so important for this root structure to emerge? Yeah. Do you want me to talk specifically
0: about mycelium, why that's important or Bitcoin? Sure.
2: Let's start with mushroom and then go to Bitcoin.
0: Okay. Um, I'm not 100% sure why mycelium lives in harsh conditions besides the fact that there's a limited number of resources and species fight over those resources to propagate. And that's found everywhere. It's not just in the, the microbiology world underground. And so I would say in a general sense, mycelium's competitive because nature's competitive. We have this illusion that we're separate from nature because we live in houses and you know we've tr- created tremendous wealth for ourselves. So we'd feel like we're outside of nature. But the reality is most of the planet is in constant stress, constant fighting for resources, trying to survive. And so um, mycelium's in that situation. Bitcoin's in that situation, and any other blockchain that draws attention to itself has value attached to it, will be in adversarial conditions. And so I would say that's probably the biggest reason why I am supportive of Bitcoin long-term is the fact that it's built with that mindset. Because if any blockchain gets to a certain point, it's going to be attacked, and it's gonna be attacked by increasingly sophisticated actors. And so the things with Bitcoin creating or Bitcoiners creating ham radio transactions and renting satellite space and all these just wacky ways to route around the internet and to provide more censorship resistance. Um, I think that's what separates Bitcoin from other camps. And you know, let's say Ethereum gets to be big enough, and this is probably gonna ruffle some feathers. If it gets big enough today, I don't think it could withstand a state level attack where I think Bitcoin may or may not, but I definitely don't think Ethereum could. And so when I think about the two that's the biggest reason why I'm I'm optimistic about Bitcoin long term is I don't think it can be killed and maybe it could today but in 10 years I don't I don't think it's going to be possible.
2: A trip down Bitcoin Twitter definitely leads you down some really weird rabbit holes with like radio technology, gun printing, like you get exp- like as a kid from California like you get exposed to some stuff that you never were exposed to before. So I will say that Bitcoin is a crazy world. It's prepared for some craziness.
0: Definitely. And I want to throw in one more point I forgot to mention there. And back to the biology theme that this is sort of trending towards. Um, There's a concept when we think about aliens and we think about life on other planets and why we haven't come across signs of intelligent life anywhere. And the concept is the great filter. And what this means is that If we think about a species evolving over time, they get to a certain point and let's say they become humanoids and they're intelligent and they have spaceships and whatever. They get to a certain point, but then there's this insurmountable challenge that comes up and then the species dies off. Right. And this could be we blow ourselves up with nuclear missiles or we can't find a way to create enough energy to leave our solar system or whatever it is. But there's this really hard thing that filters all life out, and so if you think about the vastness of time and space, it would be really plausible that we wouldn't find life on other planets because they all died out at this filter. And that filter is like a state level attack. And if any of this stuff's going to make a meaningful impact on this world, it's going to need to survive that great filter—a state level attack.
1: Wait, I want to—I want to continue on that thought. So you're—you're you're saying that the. Um... The state level attack as in an, an attack from one of our governments upon humanity as a whole might be a no, filter? no, a
0: state level attack against Bitcoin or against Ethereum saying like, OK, this oh, thing's OK, competing so okay. Too you're much. using
1: like that as a microcosm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. OK, OK, cool. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the great filter theory it's going off on a tangent here. The great filter theory I, I, is just like insane uh, because like the Drake equation is pretty, uh, you know, robust in it's in it's meaning as in as in the chances of uh extraterrestrial life is like almost certain just because of the the magnitude of the universe uh but yeah there there could be so many filters out there uh and like you know one of them is global warming uh i think our and, and like as a human hu, as a common humanity i think we should always be have our our heads up looking at the next great big filter and so I think one of them is you know global warming because I feel like every single species probably consumes too much energy too quickly and heats up whatever planet they're on, probably. Uh, and then I think another one is figuring out uh, like comprehensive species uh, consensus, and like because we can't because America and China right now cannot come to consensus, and you know some individual in you know Mozambique can't figure out how to come to consensus with some person in Iceland. And so I think that those two things are like our biggest filters ahead of us. And maybe blockchains can help with that.
2: In terms of this like great filter, we think that me and Brandon and I'm sure plenty of other people in the Bitcoin community actually think that Bitcoin itself is something that could potentially level us up to being able to make that next step in humanity and i know that you've released two papers so far two parts of your three-part series but the third part which is still pending um, kind of talks about that crazy idea would love to get your thoughts about you know how you think bitcoin can uh, take us to the next level um, in evolution as a species
0: definitely definitely oh man i get I get pinged so many times for, where's the third one? And I feel bad, oh man, writing's hard guys. Writing's painful. Yeah. Oh, I and, understand. Um, I don't do my it. My ideas so. are flowing. <laughs> I have too many ideas and I, I find my constraints being time and do I wanna sit down and put myself through that? Um, and so, yeah, let's talk about it. Part three is, it's more or less looking at the future and it's looking at sort of the implications of, of a sound money, the implications of this trust layer that permeates throughout. and essential you know, theme there is looking at Zabo's social scalability. And so right now we're sort of at the limit of our current technology as it relates to social scalability. We're sort of in a nation state battle. We're fighting over resources, U.S. versus China, like you mentioned. We can't trust each other. And so that sort of makes us hit a ceiling. And now if we can remove that, we can have a global sound money. We can have this global trust layer. And it, it, can, it will lift people out of poverty with access to capital markets and free money and money out of the state, all these things. And so I'm sort of trying to forecast or play around with the idea of what this could look like. And I'm not really exactly sure where I'm going to take it at, at, absolutely, but I know one thing that's going to be in there is looking at the trophic cascade effect. And what this is is another biology term and it's it, essentially, I'll use an example with Yellowstone, where in Yellowstone, they removed all the wolves and they removed the wolves because farmers and people were getting eaten or whatever. And now they just reintroduce the wolves. And, you know, you'd think about it, you're like, okay, now we have wolves, whatever. But it's not like that. All of nature is connected. So you bring back the wolves and all of a sudden, all the ungulates, the deer and the elk, etc., they're their herds are trimmed down so now you have less deer and if you have less deer then the deer eat less grass and if you eat less grass now all of a sudden the prairies come back the prairies come back and that brings the bugs and the birds and the trees and eventually it got to the point where the rivers actually moved so just introducing the apex predator back into the ecosystem cascaded down into every single part of the whole ecosystem to the point where rivers moved that's mind-blowing and so using that analogy Bitcoin is the wolf it's the apex predator of sound money coming in to now compete and up until this point or at least in recent time governments have
1: neutered the apex predator so let's bring the wolf back to Yellowstone gosh that that gives me shivers uh, I've, I've- <laughs> I've always had a deep respect for this is going to be a little bit of a jump, but I've always had a deep respect for fractals and the way that fractals kind of interact with each other. And so for for those who aren't familiar, you can imagine like a fractal is a self-repeating pattern and you can see it everywhere. Like it's it's in the shape of, of lightning. It's in the shape of a, of a river, river delta. It's in the shape of a river convergence coming out of a mountain. Like just these, these self-repeating patterns that kind of look like nets, but, um, They, they, they make things look similar at different scales and then they, they can also transcend through time. Right. And so what, what Brandon was just talking about was these, these kind of like a butterfly effect where, um. One variable leads to another, which leads to another, which leads to another, and it, it, it looks like a river splitting off in a thousand different directions. And so that's how the reintroduction of like 10 wolves can have just an order of magnitude of impact upon so many different systems, because the efficiency of the of the ecology of the of the biome at large. Is able to be like uh, orders of magnitude lar- larger than just simply the in- reintroduction of ten wolves because the the trickle down effects are just they they compound upon each other, uh, and so that's how we can go and re uproot this entire system in like maybe one human generation. Amazing,
0: absolutely amazing. Oh man! And if you think about other second order effects of Bitcoin, like let's just maybe you guys can help me write this article right now. Let's brainstorm for a second. <laughs> um, I'm looking at things like. Just in my own life, think speaking of fractals, in my own life, all of a sudden, now I care about things that I never cared about. Why am I looking at game theory and system design and um, Austrian economics, mm-hmm. you know all these things that we everyone talks about all the time. but just in my own life, that's changed. I, I now look at money differently, uh, way differently. And also my spending habits are different. I now want to save, you know, looking at it from a time preference. And so if you add all these things together, for one individual, and you multiply it by a city, state, nation, globe, there's going to be so many little effects there. And I think Saifedean does a a pretty good job trying to extrapolate this purely from an economic standpoint and sound money and et cetera. But I think it's going to be much more than that. I'm not sure maybe you guys have some thoughts there.
2: A lot of Bitcoiners say that Bitcoin changes you more than you can change Bitcoin. And I wholeheartedly believe that that is true.
1: Brandon, I see this a lot in you and I I hear this described in uh, from other crypto people. But to be inside of crypto, you have to be a perpetual learner because crypto is a learner's paradise. Because if you want to understand crypto, you can't just understand one facet of it. You have to understand game theory. You have to understand economics. You have to understand the history of money. You have to understand like math, psychology, computer science, uh, distributed systems. Like the list goes on and on. I should probably take some time and, and actually figure out like a list of all of these subjects. Um, and and it seems to it seems that you went just headfirst into this thing. And anyone who can be a perpetual learner can do well in this space.
0: Absolutely, I, I think you touched on something there, and and also two things you touched on. One, you know, we're we're sort of the early explorers, and we don't need to go as deep as we do to pull back these little cultural artifacts and try to explain it to other people. The average person just needs to know it works and it does what they want it to do. Uh, but I feel like we are explorers and that's really fun. And it, the more I learn in the Bitcoin world or this crypto space, whatever you want to call it, the more I learn, I feel like the less I actually know. Each one of those disciplines are you could spend your whole life on. And just getting a little bit more of the picture over time is, is so addicting to me. I'm, I'm very, very addicted to the high of learning and just uncovering one more little crack
2: here. How did you get that way?
0: I don't know. I, I would say I've always been curious and I've always wanted to know and ask the questions too many times until the person gets annoyed and I just want to know the answer. Are you but introverted? So I grew up thinking I was extroverted, yeah. and I'm 30 now. And I would say the older I get, the more introverted I feel. And I think I think I am mostly introverted, where I lose energy in, in um, big social settings. I need to come home and recharge, definitely.
2: So how did you become like a uh, ravaging learner?
0: Yeah, I don't know if I have a good answer to that. I would say... Um, Maybe this will maybe this will help illustrate it. So after college, I spent about four years at Oracle selling enterprise software. And my whole life leading up to that point was I want to be a high-powered business person. I was always starting little businesses as a kid. Um, you know, I ran a, a pop empire, hiring all the neighborhood kids, selling soda to the construction workers nearby. And so I've always been, a, you know, business-minded. And, oh, man, that was a good story. But anyways, <laughs> I'm at Oracle. And I'm starting to realize that maybe this life that I thought I wanted for myself isn't actually what I want, right? And I'm doing well as the youngest person hired on the team, you know, I'm hitting the awards, making the money, whatever, being promoted. And I just wasn't actually satisfied with what the ideal of my life was supposed to become. And then I started... Um, you know, hitting pause on that. And I went through a yoga teacher training. I started experimenting with uh, certain types of things that would change my perspective on shit. And, (laughs) you know, through that process, I would say I sort of opened up to other potentials. And I think that's probably when I really went in the deep end. I think I read like, I don't know, like two or three books a week that winter, just went nuts at home. And, then my girlfriend and now fiance, we quit our jobs and we spent a year backpacking through Asia and a lot of time in India. And I, I would say that's probably when it really started. So yoga? Yeah, yoga combined with mm-hmm.
2: um, other, Help. other things. Some aid. <laughs> Some aids. <laughs> exactly right. I was going to say that just to kind of uh, conclude everything that we were talking about, uh, Nick Zabo is often referred to as a polymath. And I feel like Uh, Cryptocurrencies and blockchain um, requires knowledge of so many disciplines that you have to yourself strive to better yourself in many different um, verticals and better understand many different verticals and you yourself are striving to become a polymath. It even like incentivizes you if you're trying to like understand it. Um, to become more of a polymath, which is um, very interesting. And one of my favorite guys, Anto Linder, often says that Bitcoin aligns incentives. And I definitely agree with that, too.
0: Totally. And one thing I, I'd like to add there is um, I really like how the community rewards good content. And if you produce something novel, something interesting, a good take, whatever, it gets amplified really hardcore in the community. And if you say dumb things that don't make sense, you get attacked and you get put in your place. And so back to the incentives, we're incentivized to go out there and explore, check some little dark corner of this community and pull back an artifact and try to explain it to other people. And it, the people that are in this space right now and active on Twitter, they all are like this, feeding off these new ideas. And then someone else is writing about this. And, you know, I didn't come up with Bitcoin as similar to my, mycelium. I thought I did. And then a whole bunch of people came out of the woodwork and were like, hey, check this out. I was used to talk about that five years ago.
2: You know? <laughs> There's a wallet called mycelium. So Yeah, I did know that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, I'd like to actually get into the topic of evolution and blockchains. Uh, and so because because we can see at least two different uh, mechanisms that blockchains have in their ability to evolve. And so one of them is the hard fork, which is really, really hard for because it's like a mutation, right? and and ninety nine percent of mutations are not beneficial, but then that one percent actually is. And so like we can, we can just in the same topic as earlier, fractals, if you're going down one path and you split off into multiple paths, you see this splitting, this mutation of the original blockchain for what some people think is a benefit. And then we get to see that benefit out in the wild. Uh, And yeah, so out of every like 99, you know, mutations, only one of them is actually going to be something worthwhile. Uh, And then there's also just straight up, and, and this is where this, uh, analogy kind of breaks down because there's also these just the straight up the beginning of a genesis block so that's when like humans get to play god and design a blockchain from scratch Uh, and that's been much more successful because we we create an entirely new organism stitching them all together. Uh, I can't remember who created, created this analogy, but it's like the platypus analogy where some blockchain has like a bunch of different features. Like it's got a duck's foot and a, a, somebody else's bill and some flippers and it looks like a weird animal, but it turns out it works. And so like that I would say is like something like decred for, which has like n- a number of different uh, features it has proof of stake. It has also has proof of work, and then it also has on-chain governance. Uh, and then there's Ethereum, which it has like this this smart contract and this EVM, and uh, and then the plan to, to switch to proof of stake. And so I wanted to kind of get your perspective on the integration of evolution in blockchains, and, and see if you have any thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I don't have a strong opinion here, but what I would say is. I think that we need to go modular and I think that all this complexity on the base layer is just a mistake. Um, I just don't think that the trade-offs that you can make in order to make a scalable that also secure, also decentralized base layer, I just don't know if that exists. and It certainly doesn't exist with the technology we have today. And so with that in mind, I I like the evolution in terms of we have a lot of species competing and and it's more like a gladiatorial type Mm -hmm. arena competing for a different market share. And, you know, I don't really see Bitcoin and Ethereum competing, uh, certainly not right now. Um, I, I see more and more people from the Ethereum community talking about how the token needs value and there needs to be a monetary premium accrue there. I'm not convinced that that is likely to occur or, you know, I, I'm not against that idea or I'm not a hard no on that. But I don't know if that's I don't know if that's coming. And so in terms of evolution, I think we're just I think there's just a bunch of dead ends, to be honest. And I'm, I'm glad that there's dead ends. Right. The, the good projects will persist and they'll steal ideas from people if they come up with any good ideas. Um, one more thing to pile on this ramble that I just spewed is people always talk about how many developers there are in Ethereum, and it's true. In term, in magnitude, there's way more. And that's a, a good thing, but I think that that doesn't tell the whole story. And what I mean by that is, if you look at the Ethereum developers, you know they can just be some basic JavaScript front-end guy who just pops over and makes an ERC-20 with some pretty stuff on it. And I don't think that a thousand of those guys you know, stand up to the the Matt Corallo's or the the hardcore Bitcoin devs, and so, yeah. I guess I see a lot of evolutionary dead ends. Trying to keep that analogy going.
1: Okay, so so we we could actually take a step back here. I'd like to to talk about your your mycelium thesis, but instead of using Bitcoin as mycelium, I would actually propose that it's crypto economic systems at mycelium, and. Uh, Bitcoin being the first successful iteration of a crypto economic system has really been able to take the cake when it comes to, you know, network effects, growing its roots, uh, you know, opening up channels with with other organisms. Um, but I don't think that it's exclu- exclusive. Uh, and so this is kind of where I was going with the whole evolution of things. Um, me as a believer of Ethereum think that maybe there's these now these two mycelium organisms and one's in North America and one's in Asia and eventually they're both gonna grow like non competitive, right? Like not competing until they grow so large that they start to they do start to compete. And that's I think when this this war actually does start is when the resources available to Bitcoin, Ethereum start to become into the same space, and we're going to really see that uh, at, at some point in time, because because this is where I think the idea of monetary maximalism comes into play. Like there can only really be one money, uh, and so when when you know we can we could maybe we can throw in like DeCredit or some other uh, some other blockchain, but really it's just like kind of Bitcoin and Ethereum right now. Um, EOS is like this inbred like side project. It's not going to work and and stuff. You know other things like that. Um, so th- there's these two projects, right? And they're growing in their own distinct realms. And one project has enables, you know, maybe you know B minus developers, and but but millions of them. And one project, you know, only selects for the top developers because that's all it needs. And eventually these ideas are going to come to a head where, you know, the the roots grow around the world where there's not enough space left. And so they come to a head and we start competing. You know, we start to actually go to war, um, whatever that means. Um, so so that, that would be my critique of your article is that it's not Bitcoin. It's crypto economic systems at large.
0: Definitely. And I, I think that's a fair critique, in all honesty. When I was first drafting the article I had a phrase in the intro where, where I said, you know, largely my argument here could be made for this community as a whole. Mm-hmm. And I am sympathetic to that, although I am pretty firmly a Bitcoiner. And so I, what I wanted to do is actually just make the article, narrow the scope a little bit of the article, because sometimes when I'm writing, I have like 20 or 30 pages and all these notes, and I don't know where to take it. And I have to just sort of distill it down to like, 10 bullets mm-hmm. and so i guess i removed that as a, a function of i know the bitcoin community way more i understand the system and, and, and the incentives much better so it was easier and it was also um much more focused and so i think it made for a better article fair but, yeah and i would say in terms of monetary maximalism i i probably would lean on the pareto distribution which i hear talked about quite a bit i, I think that makes the most sense um You know, it's going to be the most saleable good, the one with the most liquidity. And, you know, I would just be really surprised if any of the current systems usurped Bitcoin. I I just I don't even have a conceivable way of that happening in the next 10 years. Maybe in the long, long, long term, Bitcoin fails. But, man, I don't see it right
2: now. By the way, Crypto Economy, at Crypto Economy and Crypto Economy Podcast, he reads awesome Bitcoin articles and turns them into audio form, and he did it for Brandon's first article on Bitcoin being mycelium. But um, as I was listening to that, it kind of occurred to me that the way that Bitcoin's proof of work works, as well as the way that um, Bitcoin only really soft forks currently, um, was one of the reasons that Brandon was... um, kind of comparing it to mycelium and having this hard fork mechanism actually kind of changes how that works. Uh, Brandon, is that accurate? And if so, could you kind of, you know, give some commentary to that?
0: Yeah, I guess I don't have a strong opinion or anything interesting to say about hard fork, soft fork, or other forms of, of governance in that way. I would say I fully support Bitcoin's conservative stance that we should not push out a hard fork that makes nodes Um, be out of consensus. I think that's a mistake. And so when it comes to a head there's a community rising like the block size debate. In that situation it, it got pretty hostile. It was nuclear in the community and so that's the only time where I think it makes sense to say okay go do your own thing and Let's see how it competes in the marketplace. But I think what we're going to see is fewer and fewer forks being spun off into bit from Bitcoin because we sort of have the evidence now. We have the battle scars that that's just not going to work. And so my hope is that people in the community, and I think Luke, Dash Jr., Luke Dasher Jr. does this really well, is if you propose an idea and it doesn't get community support, then you just move on. And you stay with Bitcoin and you say, fine, I'll live to fight another day instead of be the Bcash squad and fork and then fractally fork into fork spawn hell. Um, yeah, but I guess to, to tie it back to the article in Bitcoin, um, I really like the proof of work side and how that compares to mycelium. I think that paints a really cool picture. And what that is is in the mycelium world, fungi and biology, it there's one type of fungi that essentially breaks down organic matter into its base elements. So it takes a fallen stick, which has absolutely no benefit to the forest. And just an aside, if we didn't have this type of mycelium, we'd be buried in hundreds and hundreds of feet of old organic matter. And so it serves a purpose. It takes this useless stick in the forest, and it consumes it. It rips apart the chemical bonds into its base molecules, and then it goes down into the mycelial economy and it trades it with other people for resources or other organisms for resources. And I see Bitcoin's proof of work in the same way where if you take stranded energy assets, for example, and this has been talked about a lot recently and I found this to be brilliant, but let's take Iceland. You have this isolated geothermal. It's nowhere near a city and they're producing all this energy, but they can't ship it. You know, there's no demand nearby. So the energy essentially just dies on the vine. and in comes the Bitcoin mining, boom, set it right down in the middle of nowhere, and now it consumes this free resource, this geothermal, and they convert it into a hard asset, a sound money, which then can be exported. And I think that's incredible, and you know it's very, very similar to how mycelium breaks down.
2: In the first article, you kind of brought the example about how uh, in the Japanese subway, they tested out if slime mold could build a better network of you know connecting each station to each station and the result was that it could and in my mind this is what bitcoin mining is going to do to our energy infrastructure like people are really thinking really small about what kind of energy we can extract out of the universe and out of our solar system and out of our planet and bitcoin creates the incentive to do that so uh, you know can you kind of jump into that and how you know you think like that might pan out into the future
0: yeah for sure so i think that's a good point and i get so frustrated with the bitcoins boiling the oceans nonsense it's so much more nuanced than that and obviously everyone on this call and probably most of your listeners already know that but it's a frustrating I, I always one. like to
1: say that people who make that argument are just the people that never bought bitcoin and they just need to make some excuse for why they didn't get rich off of it
0: Totally. Or they're just, you know, approaching it in this in simple way. And I think mm-hmm. we all sort of take these intellectual shortcuts and, you know, you look at politics, it's left, it's right, it's right, it's blue, whatever. This is nonsense. Those are just traps. Everything's gray. Everything's nuanced. And so if you don't get your hands dirty, you, how can you even have a conversation about it? And I feel the same way about the energy thing. Um, I, think, I think it was CoinShares who put out a report saying that, um, you know, i read this a while ago maybe 70 percent of the energy for bitcoin mining came from renewable sources and you guys can fact check me on that but it's some really high number and i i did not know it was going to be that high so that was surprising to me but also very optimistic and what i see is it it sort of sets a it creates a market for energy it creates a floor of energy mm-hmm. where all of a sudden now scarce energy assets have value. And we can subsidize energy projects by selling energy to Bitcoin miners. And I think that's gonna promote a tremendous green tech revolution. Energy's trending towards uh, renewable. And so if we continue that route, Bitcoin's just gonna be gobbling up all this un- un- unused demand. And I think it's gonna be a humongous net positive that is overlooked by the non-nuanced folks.
1: And for for people, for listeners who want to learn more about this subject, we did an episode with um, Brian Snyder from episode like 17 or something, 15. Uh, He works at Bunker Mining, who uh, is building a mining plant on top of um, this natural gas leak. And so this natural gas is just being... Unused and just flowing out into the air. And so they are creating a bunker mine, uh, a Bitcoin mine on top of this thing to capture that gas and to use it. Uh, And then they're also. Um, revitalizing power plants uh, across America, distressed power plants that are non-operational. And then they are also purchasing uh, more than 80% of bio waste from like, it's literally like pig shit. They're burning pig shit to burn, to make energy, to fuel a Bitcoin mine. And so like this isn't just like we can, we, can, we actually have an episode on POV crypto to talk about this to to, to show that this is a legit idea and, and companies are seeking funding to go and, and do this project. So so it's all. It's all here.
2: Episode fifteen: The current state of Bitcoin mining with Brian Snyder. Highly yeah, recommend sure. it. Very, very informative.
0: Amazing. I will absolutely listen to that. I find this topic super interesting, and I, I would also point to another episode. Um, I want to say it was Marty Bent, uh, Tales from the Crypt with Yassine um, Alamandra. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Sorry, Yassine. Big fan. And, man, he does great research. He's at Arc. I, I highly recommend that episode as well, diving into this one. He covers the coin shares. He, co- he covers the incentives. It's, it's truly mind-blowing. And back to the coordination, this is just a coordination mechanism that aligns mm-hmm. incentives. And so far, the incentives are pushing us towards a good place. And I, I think that's pretty much cemented that that's where this is going to go.
2: So wait, let's get cosmic, where is it gonna go? Like, what are your futuristic um, best guesses, hypotheses of what the world could look like? Have you read The Sovereign Individual?
0: I have, yeah. Yeah, good question. Does that scare you? A little bit. Yeah, I mean, life is pretty cozy for me, so any dramatic change would definitely make me (laughs) reevaluate things. Um, but I guess before I try to explain my half-baked thoughts in the future, I would say I'm writing an article right now called "Bitcoin and the Red Queen Theory," and I just want to throw this in there because we're talking about biology, not really to pump this. I don't have no idea when it's going to come out, but the Red Queen Theory is another biological uh, concept, and what it looks at is with evolution, you know, you you have these mutations, and then an organism changes, and let's say that organisms change is advantageous now all of a sudden I'll use a polar bear example so polar bears used to be brown and they lived up north and they ate seals and then all of a sudden a polar bear uh, has a mutation and the polar bear is white and it's in a snowy environment so now all of a sudden a white polar bear has this huge advantage and they go and they go eat seals and the seals are just watching for brown bears they don't even see this white white bear come up so that bear lives a great life, and some of its offspring are also white bears. So now you have this contingency of white bears that outcompete the brown bears because they can get food easier, right? Straightforward. And what you'd think is pretty soon the white bears take over and all the seals are gone. But that's not what happens. What happens is the seals also evolve and they adapt to the change. So now instead of just leisurely hanging out by the water, they keep their eyes out. Now they're on high alert. So the seals that reproduce are the cautious seals. And so as soon as the white bear has an advantage, the cautious seal catches up. And so with evolution and you know what the Red Queen theory means is looking at Alice in Wonderland, it's that crazy queen. She's running really fast, but she stays in the same place. And so that's used in evolution, but it's also something I'm concerned with in Bitcoin. And when I think about the future of this, this system or this group of systems, I'm just concerned with the fact that we're going to create more of the same. Right. There's these little traps in the future where we could just end up creating a new system with new rulers, but we end up more or less in the same spot. And so anytime I think about the future of Bitcoin, I want to check myself with that. And so I'm, I'm starting to organize thoughts and trying to put that into a, an article. So if anyone has thoughts about uh, running really fast and in the same spot, definitely hit me up on Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, okay, that was long-winded. We're talking about the future. I have no idea, man. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what does sound money mean for the world to you? What do you think it's going to do?
0: Yeah, sound money for the world, it will so many things. I think it, I think it prevents um, the parasitic nation state from preying on its people through seniorage, through printing money and it, it just puts money back to the people in a fair way and I think that will um, change inflated asset prices like the stock market and real estate. Both of those things are way overvalued. I think it will give people the ability to save their their earnings just in a savings account. Right. You don't need to have every dentist also be a part time stockbroker in order to preserve his wealth. Right. The whole game's broken like that. And so I, I don't
1: really have much more on that. <laughs> no, that's pretty good. That's that's fine. Brandon, we've we've exhausted your brain for a full hour. So thank you for coming on to the podcast and, and spilling some of your insights. Thank you, guys.
2: So, Brandon, if you have any asks other than the Red Queen ask, uh, what would you ask our audience? Who do you want to hear from? Where can they find you?
0: Yeah, hit me up on Twitter, bquittem, b-q-u-i-t-t-e-m. Um, I would love to hear from you if you have any of these these biology analogies. I have no idea how I became the Bitcoin mushroom biology guy, but I'm going to put my foot on the gas on that meme for now. Uh, So reach out with any mushroom content, any biology content related to Bitcoin. Um, I'll be at the MIT Bitcoin conference this weekend. I'm not sure when this episode's going out, but come say hello. Otherwise, you can find my content on Medium.
1: Very cool. Yeah. And that, that kind of just speaks to how fertile these lands are. You just have to be a better expert about biology than ninety five percent of everyone in crypto and, and then you also have to write about it and, and then once that happens, you know, you are you become the expert in the space just because this space is so young and, and has so much room for everyone. So that's what I would say to our listeners, if if you th- if you think you know a little bit more about one subject, start writing about it and that's how you will become integrated into the crypto world.
0: 100% agree with that point.
1: I have to also agree as someone who
2: does not write and then seeing like the leveraging effect of writing a good article, what it does. Um, you know, I think that's true for both David and Brandon, um, that it has leveraged up your kind of like clout in the space. Certainly.
0: 100%. I think Naval does a really good job describing that. And If you guys don't listen to Naval, you're crazy, but check out his his thoughts on leverage (laughs) Write code Write articles
1: cool all right everyone thanks for listening to the podcast you can find the pod on twitter at pov crypto pod please rate the podcast those our are our little building blocks while we are the mushrooms you guys are the little rocks that we mine uh five-star reviews from so please give us give them to us we need them really really bad or else the forest dies brandon Have you rated the podcast?
0: (laughs) I have, actually. Oh. Uh, You guys are doing a good job persistently asking, and I like your content genuinely, Mm -hmm. so I want more people to listen to the show. I haven't done it with my fiance's phone yet, though. I know you guys asked you stoop down that
2: low. (laughs) You don't even know, man.
1: (laughs) You don't even know. Oh god. At New Year's party I rated the podcast like seven times on random (laughs) streams. Are you sure iTunes isn't listening to this?
0: Hopefully not. That'd, that'd be a science. <laughs> if you can start a Twitter thread where you just give everyone a
2: thousand sats if they like the show with a screenshot. We do will do that. That is All on right. the table. <laughs> Lightning incentives on Twitter actually work really well. I work for Bitcoin Magazine and we've been pulling it a lot. Definitely. All right, guys. You can find me on Twitter at CK underscore snarks. Adios. Bye, guys.